Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, hello again. It's Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It's a joy to uh, be spending this time with you today. All right, I'm going to answer in brief, as briefly as possible, a question that I have been asked over and over and over again in the last two weeks. And it's one of those things that um, you could take a semester's long course on. And so to talk about it here in a few minutes is going to require, I'm sure, further unpacking in the days and weeks to come. But what is the distinction between Israel as a people and Israel as a nation, Israel as a people in the Bible, Israel as a nation in the Bible, Israel as a nation state today? So historically and biblically, um, we are talking about an ethnic people group my best way to describe it. It's an ethnic people group. It is a it is the descendants of Abraham at this point. So the descendants of well, let's see, is that right? Because we have as descendants of Abraham, we not only have the Jews, we have um everyone who we would consider as Arab. So hmm, okay. So it's an it's a it's historically and biblically an ethnic group of people. So it's not just all descendants of Abraham, it's descendants of Isaac. Okay, so God makes an everlasting covenant with Abraham um, through the lineage of Isaac. And part of that is a promised land or the promise of land, a land, a specific land. Um, there were people in that land we know this. We There were people in that land when God's people arrived. Um, there were also people in that land when God's people returned from Exodus. So when we talk about the modern nation state of Israel and the biblical theocracy, the Davidic era Judaism, like they're not, you, you, you can't equate them. But they have the same name, and they have some relationship to each other, and it's certainly the same same piece of land. So as we read um, in the Bible, the Jewish people were distinctly called and chosen by God for his glory, for his purpose, that they would be a blessing to others, and it would be um, salvation. I mean, John 4, 22, salvation is from the Jews, right? So there's, there's you know, Jesus is Jewish. Um, and Israel is where all of the events unfold. And so when we, when we think about and our, and our heart begins to beat in relationship to these things, when we're talking about the contemporary nation state of Israel, we have to remember it is a distinctly Jewish state, but it's also decidedly secular. It's a democratic state. It was organized after World War II as a refuge for ethnically Jewish people because nobody else wanted them. 
It was literally the only place they could go. So the modern state of Israel is created as a refuge following the Second World War for ethnically Jewish people. And since then, they have been making Aliyah. They have been returning to Israel. Now, notably, not everyone in the nation state of Israel today is a Jew. And not every Jew in the world lives in the nation state of Israel. So there are um, a handful of Christian views of Israel today, and I want to very, very briefly walk through them because you might assume that the way you think about Israel is the way every Christian thinks about Israel. And chances are, (laughs) it's not. Well, I know it's not because, you know, if you've got five Christians in a room, there are probably five views of Israel in the room as well. So when we talk about the nature and the relationship between Jews and Christians, certain questions arise about the nature of Judaism and the nature of Christianity, the nature of Israel and the nature of the church. So let me just ask you, do Gentile Christians become Jewish in some way when they are engrafted into the body of Christ? Do Christians replace Jews? Does the church replace Israel in God's redemptive history? How do we understand the modern secular Jewish nation-state of Israel in relation to the biblical theocracy of Israel? Is it a people? Is it a place? Is it both? Then? Now? So these are some of the questions that we as Christians need to be asking and working and wading through. So there's one interpretation. I'm going to give you uh, just a handful of interpretations here. One interpretation is the church and Israel refer to the same group of people. You will hear this called fulfillment theology, replacement theology, or supersessionism. So the church and Israel refer to the same group of people, all right? That is fulfillment theology, replacement theology, or supersessionism. Interpretation number two is that the church and Israel are different groups of people. This would be described as dispensational theology. It holds that God relates to humanity in a series of dispensations or periods in history, which means the period of Israel is over, and now we're living in the period of the church. Interpretation three would say the church and Israel overlap in some manner. So this is called remnant theology. I would say this is a more nuanced approach to the conversation. And in this theological model, the church partakes of the covenants of the promises that God made to Israel, but it does not replace Israel. There, the metaphor would be the olive tree. The church is understand as grafted into Israel. All saved Gentiles spiritually in some way become Jewish, and all saved Jews are saved through Jesus Christ, the one and only Messiah of God. So the two become one, no longer Greek nor Jew, but all one in Christ Jesus. All right, so we can talk about um, in the days to come why that matters, but there are three vibrant interpretations of Christianity and Judaism, the church and Israel. And it does actually matter which one of these you hold to in terms of the way you respond to the issues of the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Shauna Pilgreen is joining us today. We're going to talk about translating Jesus, how to share your faith in language today's culture can understand. Shauna, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me, Carmen. Excited just to to chat. So this is um this is so real. You are literally helping us enter into conversations that we all desperately want to have 
Some people are afraid to have uh, have conversations about their faith with people who don't yet believe or people who they perceive to be non-believers, or maybe even conversations with people we sit next to in church. And frankly, we just think they believe something radically different than we believe. So can you talk with us invitationally about your personal motivation to even enter into uh, this this book and this project? Yeah, definitely. Carmen, I, I write this book from a place where this is how I'm living. So it's not that I figured it out and I'm an expert and I'm writing about how to share your faith, but I'm writing about stories that I'm still in the thick of, that I'm learning from, and that I'm finding Jesus in the places that I mentioned at the book, the gate, the cross, and the table. And so it's really just unpacking, like, how do we bring Jesus into these conversations? And it doesn't always look the same. Um, So sometimes it's bringing Jesus into a conversation where, as I say in the book, if the door is open, go in. If the door is closed, pray. So the idea is that if you're in a conversation where there seems to be an openness to faith, an openness to you, or they seem open about their life and struggles and celebrations, then figure out a way to bring Jesus into that conversation out loud. And if the door seems closed, that's fine. That doesn't mean that God's not at work or he's not doing things behind the scenes, but it's an opportunity. It's an invitation for us to pray blessings over that person um, and just see what God does next. So um, my friends who are listening right now are going to laugh when I say, okay, so in addition to if I come across a, a closed door, a closed person, I'm going to pray. My friends know, Shauna, I'm also going to knock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes. not everybody, I mean, not everybody is that um, maybe, I mean, maybe I'll use the word intrusive, but not everybody is predisposed to press in. And can you just talk about that? Because th- th- there, there is faithfulness in being a Christian in the midst of um, a culture where others are not, and doing so in a way that attracts their positive attention. Um, but at some point, like sharing the gospel is about opening your mouth. Yes, 100%. And I think um, we are living in a society, and this is really even mainstream uh, America, where you do have people who, um, you know, no longer are we living in a generation where everyone has a grandma or grandpa or an aunt and uncle who are churched and introduce them to church. We're like too removed from that. So I think we just have to go into relationships and into our day with these assumptions that even though someone might have an affiliation with a church or have heard of Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean they've been discipled, that they understand, that they even know. They, a lot of people just are lost. And I mean that spiritually lost, like they don't know Jesus, but also just even a lostness of I've been introduced to it, but I've never been formed or discipled. So I do think, Carmen, you're right. There are times where there, where we need to speak up and we need to have those conversations. And I think just an easy way um, or a more simple approach to that when we're wanting to speak up, but we're not exactly sure what needs to be said when it comes to prayer is even just saying, hey, I'm a person who prays every day. Is there something I can pray with you about? And I think the idea of posing it as questions rather than I've got something to tell you, I think Mm -hmm. when we pose it as a question, it almost is just a sigh of relief for the other person who's like, they're not coming at me, but they're coming with me. And 
by just saying, hey, I'm a person who prays every day. Is there something I can pray for you about? That allows them to do the talking. And that allows us to do what I call double listening. I actually took that from John Stott with this idea that we're listening to them, but we're also listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And I think um, maybe where we've been, and I I am an evangelist. So I come across as that, as that assertive person too, Carmen. So I think what it helps me do is to create some pause in that conversation of letting them have space to talk, having letting them have space to share where they're coming from, and then just having space for the Holy Spirit to work. So it's not like this whole issue has to get solved right now. It might just be that I'm planting the seed or watering the seed, or like we experienced this Sunday, we had a young lady, a college student, um, come forward at church and people had already been planting the seeds and watering the seeds. And she was just ready to mm. put her trust in Jesus. Um, that's not an everyday thing, but it's awesome when you get to be um, a part of that process. But I do think there are times to use words. I do think there's also times where our part is to pray quietly, intercede. Um, but yeah, when there's times to speak up, yeah, I do pray that we would, we would have more of that boldness. I, um, a great story that comes to mind is in Acts 3 when Peter and John, as so many other people, had walked beside the beggar at the beautiful gate on their way to church. And um, I'm sure everybody just got used to the beggar being there and asking for money. But on this particular day, Peter and John, they, uh, the well, the beggar says, hey, you know, do you have any, you know, can you give me anything? And they said, hey, what you're asking for, silver and gold, we don't have. But what we do have, we give you in the name of Jesus walk. But my favorite part of the story is that he goes into church with them. Um, so it wasn't just that they met the need at the gate. They brought him to the cross. They brought him into church, into Christian community. And the beautiful thing that happens is that everyone there, it says in the next chapter over, that the rest of the people prayed that they too would have boldness. And I just think, um, I talk a lot in the book about stepping into stories and swapping stories I think there's some um, beautiful things that happen when we lean into the conversations and relationships during the week that are ongoing. It's not that we're supposed we're giving our money through Saturday to convert people so that on Sunday we've got something to show and tell. It's no Monday through Saturday. We're stepping into these stories. They're fluid. They're constantly changing. They're messy. They're chaotic. We don't always know the outcome of these. So that when we show up at church on Sunday, what I call like churches like these refilling stations, we swap stories of how we saw God's activity and how he used us and how he taught us, even through conversations with non-believers. But going back to that passage in Acts 3 and 4, I just love that it's, it's, you see the whole picture. You see Peter and John, you see the beggar who's now walking, praising God. And then you see others at the church who then, because of what they saw, they too want to be bold. And so translating Jesus, is not just for the one person, but it's like, how are we doing this together with one mm-hmm. another um, as the body of Christ? That's so good. As you're listening to um, Shauna Pilgreen, I'm wondering if you're thinking to yourself, I've got a story from the mission field that I'd love to share. I'd love to share a story of where I witnessed Jesus moving in the life of another person. Um, you know, I got to be present for that aha moment when the light of faith came on for somebody and they believed, or when something um, about God and God's character and God's goodness and His will became clear to somebody. And um, and I got to see that. I got to witness that miracle moment. Do you have a glory story to tell? Uh, if so, I'd love to hear it. You can text me, 
1-844-843-6784. We're talking about translating Jesus, how to share your faith in language today's culture can understand. We'll continue our conversation with Shauna Pilgrim here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation now with Shauna Pilgreen. Uh, the, the conversation is about translating Jesus, how to share your faith in language today's culture can understand. And yes, we do have copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, you can also connect with Shauna online at shaunapilgreen.com. Shauna, when you talk about this act of translation, there is this need to become bilingual. It's not bilingual in the way that maybe some people would initially think about that. So what what are the languages, what are the two languages we're trying to bring into conversation with each other? Yeah, so the two languages are the language of culture and the language of Christ. And the language of culture I define as paying attention. And I base that off of how Paul did his missionary work as he would show up to a city and before he began to speak the language of Christ, he learned the language of culture. And so he would show up, he would pay attention to what are people's values? What are they seeking after? What are they worshiping? How are they spending their time? So he learned the culture. He paid attention before he brought in the language of Christ. And so the language of Christ, it is it is the gospel. It is the good news. It is the scriptures. It is what we, what we sing and hear and talk about among our Christian community, but they are two different languages. And I think um, society is just, as we become more, more post-Christian, you just see the divide that it's two very distinct languages. And so it's not that we can speak Christ without first understanding culture and understanding where a person's coming from. And so as you begin to pay attention to culture with this understanding, like, again, this language of Christ, Carmen, is it comes from, you know, staying engaged with God in prayer, staying engaged in scripture, staying engaged in Christian community. We need that. That's what roots us so that when we are in culture, because what I what I have lived with the notion for so long is that if I am in culture too long, it's going to stain me, affect me, hurt my testimony. And that's not that's not what we see in scripture. Jesus spent time at the gate. And he did with confidence because of who he belongs to and where he, his identity is. So the idea is that we can be more engaged in culture because we know the language of Christ. And as we are engaged with culture and paying attention with the language of Christ, we become bilingual. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't know. The example that I use is that um, our favorite Italian restaurant is called Lupa here in the city. And why I try to attempt to pronounce the Italian words in the menu. I love that the server never is put off because I can't say the right words to order my favorite pasta dish. And that she's she's fine with that, but it's me at least attempting 
my Italian as I order that food. And so the idea of becoming bilingual is that it's not perfect, but we've got to practice these two languages in order to become bilingual, in order to begin to speak these two languages so that we can beautifully and in a winsome way bring Christ into our conversations on a daily basis. Um, so, Shauna, um, for people listening and they're trying to, they're, they want to catch up with you at your favorite Italian restaurant, that would be in San Francisco? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, Alpha is a part of, um, I mean, it, it makes total sense to me, first of all, knowing that you're engaged with Alpha. It makes sense to me that um, having these conversations at the intersection of of what people are actually paying attention to um, and the tension uh, that that can be brought to bear in, in those conversations at a table, um, yes. all of that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> understanding um alpha and uh and the the movement um of the spirit in in that particular movement not only here in the united states but around the world so i love that take us to the places because this is uh the way the book is um framed around these three places christ spent time at the gate the cross and the table and that's where you're encouraging us to spend time as well what do those three represent yeah so the gate represents culture the, um, the cross represents time with Christ, Christian community, church. And then the table really is this beautiful place. And I, I mean, we can picture tables anywhere, Carmen, whether it's um, like the mm-hmm. alpha table um, that is run in homes and prisons and churches all over the world. Um, but tables can be the coffee shop. It can be your home. Um, so the table really can be anywhere you can experience um, community and conversation. Um, but to your point, what you pointed out is that Jesus did spend time at these three places um, from the gate, literally just how he would be at the gates when you think of Jerusalem and the gates there, but just even, you know, along the shore and in the marketplace and in the, the towns and villages and the countryside and the, the farm fields that he walked along. And that's where he spent time at the gate. So for us, it is the marketplace. It's where we probably spend most of our day. Um, and then the cross is, it's that time, our time, personal time with connecting with Jesus one-on-one in, in scripture and prayer. It is Christian community being connected to a local church and being a part of small groups where we can be held accountable and grow in our faith. And then the table, what I love about the table with Jesus is it says so many times in, in, uh, the gospels that he reclined at table. And I love this beautiful picture of and Jesus reclining, you know, in my mind, I had him like, you know, the chairs kind of leaned back. He's got his feet propped up on, on the table. But back in that day, it probably meant like he was probably literally stretched out on the floor, maybe propped up on, um, you know, something soft, whatever, but like he was just relaxed. And what I love this picture gives us that he was confident and he was certain of who he was and who he belonged to. So the idea is that as we, as you get to the end of the book, the last seven chapters are at the table and really just wanting to encourage believers that you have what you need. You know enough for any moment you find yourself in, in a faith conversation. I think oftentimes we're probably more afraid um, than even the non-Christian that we're engaged in conversation with. Um, When reality is we can be confident and certain that Jesus is in that conversation. He loves the people we're engaged with far more than we do. He wants 
to save them and change them and bring this abundant life to them so we can relax at table. We can be confident and certain of who we are in him so that we can engage in these conversations almost kind of stress-free of just being Mm -hmm. able to say, I use these three phrases in the book that Jesus loves you. The way we love him is by loving him back, giving him our life. And then we spend the rest of our lives loving one another. And so I think those three truths um, there, and I realize that Jesus is not always well-received, the name of Jesus is not always well-received, but I do think that those are broken down to three simple truths that any believer can share um, with someone. That's so good. Um, the The knowledge that um, Jesus, if you're a believer and you're listening to us right now, I just want you to remember that Jesus is in you. Jesus Mm -hmm. is in you. And so wherever you go today, whatever you encounter today, wherever you're headed right now, um, Jesus is in you. And so when you enter a workplace, when you enter a store, when you enter um, a a cultural environment of any kind, um, Jesus is in you. And so you can be the person who has received him well. Um, you're there to represent him to others. You're a representative of Christ, an ambassador of his kingdom and his system of values. Um, and so when when Shauna and I are talking about walking into the conversations of the day and doing so as the person who's going to be the connecting point between uh, the, the culture of the kingdom of God and the language of, of Christ and redemption and grace and love and, a, and the world that doesn't speak that language at all, um, Jesus is in you to do that. And so you can just rest in the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the words. Um, you don't have to you don't have to plan in advance what you're going to say. You just have to be a willing conduit of um, of the Holy Spirit, which inhabits you in the person of Christ. Shauna, what a delight to connect with you. Thank you for helping us translate Jesus. The book is Translating Jesus, How to Share Your Faith. Uh, in language that today's culture can understand. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can connect directly with Shauna online at her website, shaunapilgreen.com. Many of you have been asking, okay, when we talk about Christians in the Middle East, when we think about how to help our brothers and sisters in Christ and how to pray, many of you have been asking, who's already there? Who is already there helping the persecuted? Well, the simple answer to that question is help the persecuted. Joshua Youssef is going to join us next. Help the Persecuted is a ministry of the gospel. They rescue persecuted believers who are escaping imminent danger. They restore them emotionally, physically, spiritually, and then they rebuild their lives, empowering them to thrive as disciples of Christ in very hostile places. Privileged to have Joshua Youssef joining us next here on Mornings with Carmen. You've heard the headlines. You've um, gotten out your, you know, your map. You've pulled it up on the internet. You've looked at the geography of the place. You've tried to imagine what it's like. You've been praying for specifically Christians sheltering in place in in Gaza. You've been trying to understand how it is that Christians live in uh, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in the other places you're reading about and hearing about in the news. 
and you'd like to know their names, and you'd like to know who is helping the persecuted in those places. Joshua Youssef is joining us. Help the Persecuted is the ministry. HTP.org is the website. Joshua, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me on, Carmen. Um, so obviously of particular concern and interest, simply because of the news headlines, um, we would like to know what you know about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East in the midst of the current conflict, um, not just between Hamas and Israel, but that's sort of the centerpiece of it. Well, I mean, I guess the more, yeah, the more immediate need and, 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 uh, difficulty that we're seeing is, um, you know, particularly in Lebanon, you have um, probably the largest concentration of Christians. There's a power shared agreement between Christians and Muslims in Lebanon. But there has always been this struggle against, uh, you know, Hezbollah uh, and and Lebanese forces. And so you've got Christians who are sort of leaving the southern part of Lebanon right now as Israel and Lebanon are, are volleying uh, missiles back and forth. And so uh, they're heading to more Christian, um, you know, more Christian enclaves or more Druze enclaves of Lebanon. And so that's kind of what our team's dealing with now mm. um, in okay, the midst first of, of all, this particular First conflict. of all, you just, you just introduced some people to a people group they've never heard of. Who are the Druze? Um, th- there's not, you know, th- they're, a, they're, a, they're a, a, they've combined a little bit of... Uh, Islam and Christianity to their religion. The, the problem with the Druze is we don't know a lot about it. There's, there's mm-hmm. uh, only males can know the secrets of the religion and only males over the age of 40. And so it's this kind of secret uh, religion. There, there's all this kind of, uh, you know, there was a uh, stuff that they believed a, 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 in a, in their Messiah was going to come through a male, a man. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've since learned that that may not be the case, but the problem is we don't know a lot about the Druze religion. Because it's they closed. Are, <clears throat> like, like since the 11th it's, century, it's like been closed. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Okay. All right. It, so it there really are is. these Druze communities in this region of Lebanon. They're also in the northern part of Israel as well. Um, and so they're on both sides of this of this conflict. Christians in the region, particularly on the Lebanese side of the border, you know, as you've as you have described, because of a power sharing agreement, like Lebanon used to be a good place to be a Christian in the Middle East, but that's just no longer true. No, I, I, um, it, it, the, you know, a lot of Christians have left. Right, they've gone to the, mm-hmm. the Lebanese Christians have gone to Canada, the U.S., Australia, and so your population, the Christian population, shrinking, and you have with a deteriorating economy and, and government, you've got a lot of just instability. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we have people in our safe houses in Lebanon uh, from Yemen whose family members in Yemen have, have kind of come into Lebanon to look for them. And they're operating <clears throat> without, you know, a lot of opposition from Lebanese forces. So, you know, this, this is, it's becoming, it's almost becoming a fa- it has the potential to become a failed state. I'll say that. Yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> Talk with us about, so when you say your safe houses, like that gives people a little bit of a clue as to one of the things um, that you all are doing. 
at Help the Persecuted. And again, we're talking with Josh Youssef. You can connect with him and the ministry. Help the Persecuted, you know, would be what you're typing into Google, htp.org for all the info. Um, You guys have a range of responses. This immediate crisis response might be one thing people are very, very interested in. But there's lots of layers to the very long-term tailored care um, that Help the Persecuted engages in. So can you just describe that so people understand what we're talking about? Yeah, what happens, particularly in the life of a convert, um, so in about 60 to 65% of the cases that we work with are converts from from Islam, um, but they they end up facing what's called civic death. I, I mean, in some cases, a convert faces death. Um, that's that's not as rare as you would think. Uh, but in all cases, they face what's called civic death. That's where the community, uh, the mosque, the family uh, go, and, and they oppose this person's conversion. Um, and so, we as a as a ministry saw you know this as a as, a, as an issue. And so we've we've created safe house network. We've created, uh, you know, kind of a discipleship and um, uh, counseling uh, program for converts, but also what we call enduring livelihood. So we help uh, converts create a business plan, and then we we give them a loan and help them get that business started, so that they can not only provide for their immediate family, but also the larger MBB community. And I say MBB, the Muslim background believer community, um, because they are, they do experience such opposition from the community. They, in many cases, lose their inheritance. They lose their uh, ability to earn an income. They lose their job. Um, and the family basically is, and the community around them is basically you know, strangling them back to Islam. And so we have been able to create uh, almost sort of micro economies uh, to help these uh, these persecuted converts. Yeah, being the body and, of Christ in a, in a holistic way is one of the ways that I would describe what you all are doing, and you um, you're concerned at an individual level, and that is I don't know if you recognize this, but. That is one of the things that makes this ministry so unique. Um, yeah, there's there's big, big, big problems. They're global, they're national, they're geopolitical. But, you know, ultimately, there are these individual people. And I love the way that you guys really seek to meet the specific needs of the individual in front of us. So we could talk about, you know, the fact that you've reached 81,000 people across 13 countries this year. Um, or we could talk about one of those people. So could you bring one of those individuals into view for us? Well, we, we had to, uh, you reminded me of, a, you know, there's, when we do our cases every month, there are times when we're looking at these cases and I'm, and I'm looking and I'm like, did we just not read this case? We just read this case. You know, their, mm. their, their stories are so similar from Morocco all the way to Pakistan. You know, somebody, and, and this is, this is hard for people in the West to understand, but there's, this incredible thing happening where uh, Muslims are contacting us and saying, I've had a dream. I've had a vision of Jesus, or I've had a vision of a man that is in white or he, and and they, they all describe very similar things. And he's saying things to them like, I love you. I am the son of God. I want, I want to have a relationship with you. And, and then our community began to our Christian 
uh, brothers begin to share the gospel with them and they are brought into community. But this is happening on such a scale that it's it's hard to ignore. Uh, and so we're really there just to kind of meet these people at the point at which the Holy Spirit has drawn them. And uh, and one of those was a, a actually cousins uh, from uh, Iraq. I won't say the village they're from because it is a small community, but they are descendants of the prophet Muhammad. And they began uh, contacting our staff who were outside, just living right outside their village uh, on Facebook. And it started with a lot of questions. I think one of them, one of the cousins had had a dream and that's what led him to this, this, our Facebook community, our Arab, our Iraqi Facebook community. And uh, our director led him to the Lord uh, through social media. And when the parents found out, they, they basically locked him up. Um, they locked him up. The uncle was threatening to kill him. Uh, when the family went away for a wedding, uh, a, another cousin slid a key under the door and he was able to unlock himself and escape. And he got his other cousin out. And then we got them out of their village and uh, flew them to Lebanon, which is kind of our fallback state. And uh, mm. they served in our Lebanese uh, office for a while. And then they felt the Lord calling them back to their family in Iraq, where they are now uh, uh, ministering to their family. And some of their family members have come to Christ as a result of all this. It's just mm. incredible. I want you to um, to tell us more stories about MBBs, Muslim background believers. Um, and so when we come back, we're going to ask Joshua Youssef to, to tell us about, you know, maybe some members of the team, some Christians who are serving in the Middle East, maybe Salam and Samar, if, uh, if he's willing. He's got lots of stories. You can check out the entire um, report from Help the Persecuted at HTP. Dot .org lots of stories there lots of opportunities to connect they're on Facebook and Twitter you can connect to all of their social media at htp.org. More um, with Joshua Youssef here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at myfaithradio.com. Could you imagine that there would be a ministry center in Iraq? Could you imagine that there would be a vibrant ministry in Afghanistan and in Pakistan? Could you imagine that the places that we read about and hear about in the news are not only places where Christians live, but where Christianity is flourishing and thriving? How How is that happening? Who is helping um, in these places and spaces. Help the Persecuted would be the name of the ministry we're highlighting today. Joshua Youssef is here with us. You can connect with Help the Persecuted and Joshua at htp.org. Joshua, um, when we talk about the people who are on the ground, Christians who are on the ground, who are, you know, really your team in these places, um, I'm sure these are not their real names, but <laughs> can you tell us about Salam and Samar? Yes, these are my heroes. Uh, I've known Salam and Samar. Um, they they actually go back to like the late 90s when my father was doing Arabic radio broadcasting into the Middle East. They were involved in the follow-up. And in the early 2000s, we connected um, as I was, as we were building a satellite TV channel 
in the Middle East. We, that's how we kind of reconnected. And they served, they've served in the region for, you know, 40 years. Uh, they are indigenous during the right around 2003, uh, Salam was uh, ministering to a member of Al Qaeda. Uh, and, and he, and the, the country that he was in, the, the security forces had reached out to him and said, look, do you know who you're, who you've been meeting with? And he said, yes. And they said, we, we have uh, foiled a plot to kidnap your daughter from, from school. Uh, and we think that this man was involved. Now we don't know, we don't know if this, if this man that he was meeting with and, and trying to disciple was involved and we don't know whether the secret police were using that as a, uh, as a ploy to, to scare him from continuing to meet with this man. But they basically ended up leaving their home country and coming to America where they, you know, received U S citizenship. But after, after some time, they really felt like the Lord was calling them back to their home country. And they felt like they were almost becoming too complacent here in the West. And so they went back to serve and they have, they are our team leads uh, for help the persecuted. Everything, spokes off of the hub that they've created and they're at their core this couple salam and samar are ministers and they love working with the convert community and the team they have built is carmen it it is they're just the most amazing people i've ever met they're so courageous they are so uh i mean i want i don't want to say risk takers but they they're willing to take risks for the gospel, and uh, they've built a, a fantastic team uh, in the region, um, one of whom is uh, our Lebanese director, uh, who is having a fantastic ministry in Lebanon. Um, and you're okay if I just kind of tell you some stories? Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Go I, right I, ahead. I, okay, so uh, Amin, Amin is, was, a, was hired by Salam and Samar in Lebanon, and— um, he is known throughout uh, the community that we we operate a, a small farm now in this area of Lebanon, uh, where we produce almost thirty truckloads of fruit and veg a month for uh, predominantly the the persecuted community, who are oftentimes the last to receive aid. But um, he received a call one time uh, from a man, and uh, he said, "I I'm told you have answers." as it relates to Jesus. And I have some questions about Christ. I, I just want to meet with you. And so this gentleman, they decide to meet. And when they meet, Amin on our team says, something's wrong with this guy. Like he's, he's a terrorist. Um, and he just felt in his spirit that he was, he was not, not who he was, had maybe said he was. Yeah. Like call. your questions are not your questions. Are you asking these questions yeah. because you want to know, or somebody told you to, that sounds very Jesus. That's doesn't right. It? Yeah, okay. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, he, and he said, you know, he, 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 the Holy Spirit said to him, be bold with this man right now. And um, he said, I want to I tell you the gospel. So he began to share the gospel with this guy. And he said it was like he was starting to soften a little bit. Like maybe, maybe he had come in for one reason, but was coming out, you know, hearing something different. And so um, he ended up going away from that meeting. And a couple of weeks later, he gets a call and the, this, this gentleman says, hey, I need to meet with you again. And so they meet 
And he said, I remember Amin said this, he was so emotional when we, when they met and, um, and there was something, he was disturbed. And he said, what did you, what happened? Did you put a spell on me? And he said, no, no. He said, have you been praying for me? And he said, yeah, I've been praying for you. <laughs> he said, because in the last two weeks I've been having these dreams. And in one of these dreams, you are coming towards me in a white robe and you're, you're holding a white envelope filled with blood. And when you hold the envelope up to my nose, I look in and I can see the blood and the blood is dripping from the corner of the envelope, but the blood smells beautiful. It smells like, like perfume. And Amin says to him, this is the, the blood that I was telling you about. This is Christ's blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And the man just starts weeping and he starts crying. And he says, I thought that the, when I saw the blood, I thought the blood was going to be my blood. That, mm. that was going to be spilled in killing you, in 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 uh, in killing you, or it was going to be uh, uh, your blood that I was going to shed. Either one, he said. I didn't. I didn't think that this would be Christ's blood. Mm. And so this was this was years ago. And now this gentleman, who was we found out later, was a prince of ISIS, one who who many ISIS members had sworn allegiance to. He was a Sharia court judge in Syria, had executed hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He's now a believer serving the church. He leads Bible studies uh, in our community in, in Lebanon. And, you know, Carmen, this is, this is when we look at this Israel-Gaza thing, I think the gospel is the only hope we have. Mm-hmm. It, that, that, that both Muslim and Jew can come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And, and enemies, sworn enemies, can, can be... Uh, reconciled. You know, we've had so many stories of Muslims who hated Jews. And when they come to Christ, that we've had these encounters where we bring them together with Messianic believers, and they have like you know, foot washing ceremonies and, and just beautiful uh, reconciliatory events that are taking place. And it can only happen uh, through Jesus and in, and in him. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've got like I said, we have so many stories to this effect, um, but we're, and we're just, yeah, I love being on the front lines of this. So good. Um, Joshua, first of all, thank you. We are committed to be praying with you and for you as God uses you and help the persecuted in these extraordinary ways. I hope you'll come back and share us more stories. It's been, it's so encouraging. Um, it's also compelling and it is convicting and, you know, all, all of the good things. And so, um, Thank you. I think I'll just say thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. That's Joshua Youssef, Help the Persecuted, H-T-P dot O-R-G. Um, okay, so thank you so much for the time you have invested with me today. It is, um, it's Monday morning. So what do you already know God has set before you, the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do? Some of those are already on your calendar some of them will be divine appointments that God has set that you you don't even know are there yet. Let's be anticipating those. Let's be um, people who have open eyes and open hearts and open ears and a readiness, a readiness to share the gospel in a, in a given moment, at a given opportunity, to serve those who we see in need around us, to bind up the brokenhearted and to sow peace everywhere we go. Let's apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. People don't need another piece of your mind. They do need the very mind of Christ. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.